Hey there, if you would like ad-free and early versions of these episodes, as well as bonus episodes, movie club episodes, and lots more, head on over to patreon.com slash Craig and Friends. talking about instant cameras thank you for doing that because i was like oh i don't want to interrupt you so i was just saying how i started in lockdown i started just buying instant cameras and just taking photos because i knew i wouldn't be able to get them developed until um afterwards yeah and it was a great way then at the end to take all these instant cameras and then just look back on that time but then i also really liked that it was a form of documentation that removed me from my phone Mm, and it's, yeah. and it's like you were saying about the there's something really tangible uh, about film and in the way it captures the light and and I like that it just then captures these like in between moments mm-hmm. um that are never as like constructed as uh as a camera and also because you don't see the output until afterwards and you're relinquishing a lot of control you are there's no color correction there's mm-hmm. no you just have that tiny turn. little yeah uh little lens especially because i don't you know i could get a nicer film camera Mm -hmm. but i purposely choose to stick just to the instant ones because i like that there's like a grittiness and just a lack of quality um about them and also if you lose it it's not uh especially because like i travel a lot and i'm always on the move and just having like a little thing i can just throw in a bag and i'm not worried if i lose it obviously it's not nice to lose the photos no but but it's not like, oh, my God, how am I ever going to get another one right now and all that stuff and all my lenses, yeah, all of that. Yeah, yeah. like me and tech, I have a hard enough time just keeping track of my phone <laughs> when it comes to cameras. Like I do travel with like nice cameras sometimes and it's always like a very terrifying process of like at any moment, <laughs> this is going to like fall off a cliff. And so speaking of your travel stuff, we were just talking during the break a little mm-hmm. bit about your creative directing work. And yeah. I was wondering when that started. So it started kind of in tandem with my production in nightlife of events. That makes sense. Uh, that and then also um, with the masks, because I once I started making masks, I would just reach out to photographers and to designers and be like, hey, I want to shoot with you. Yeah. Can I shoot with this photographer or can I wear some of your clothes for a shoot? And I would just m- put together shoots myself yeah. for my own work with other people who I liked, you know, yeah. Um, either for my social media or, you know, for if, if I was doing something, you know, a show, et cetera. Um, and then over time, obviously then that built into people using my mask for things and then me working with other people that actually do creative direction on a shoot or on a music video. Mm-hmm. Um, or or an event, you know, like sure. working with either a gallery or a museum to like create an experience. Right. Which is know. what you're already doing with Cookie Jar. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah. again, it was a very natural progression. Um, and then again, I just liked to try whatever was, you know, an interesting kind of project. Um, and it's it's nice because I don't have, and on one hand, I don't have all this formal training in any of these worlds. Yeah. But uh, but I also have a lot of practical 
you know, like over yeah. time, it's like I've been the model, I've been the photographer, I've been the stylist, I've been the assistant, you know, I've been the writer, I've right. even been, I've done the PR stuff too. So it's like, it's, and to me, like, you can approach creative direction from so many different spaces. Well, it's creative, so be creative. Exactly, you gotta be creative. <laughs> there is no rule book at all. Right, that's something good for people to hear too. Because I think yeah. the title sometimes puts people off because of what they think it's like almost like the definition of or rather gatekeeping of queerness mm -hmm. no it's 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 true people think that there's some kind of magic um formula or they think that um yeah you need some kind of qualification but the truth is and this is true for i'd say most creative directors yeah in the best way of whether you studied or not you just kind of throw yourself at projects. Yeah. It's like throwing, I don't know, shit at a wall and seeing what sticks. Yeah. And it's just, you're just, it's like, it's, it's just driven by like a curiosity and a fascination to try things. Right. You That's know, the qualification. Absolutely. The curiosity. And, yeah. And, and it's also just like, honestly, it, it's the same with my events. You know, I, uh, I was a performer and a host and I was just sponging and learning. Yeah. Right. And then I was just like, I'm going to do an event. And I had obviously enough experience as being in those worlds to understand what you would need. Right. And then I just did it. Right. You know, I just was like, okay, I'm going to contact the venue. I'm going to find the people. And it's just, it's it's that it of not waiting for someone to give you something and just being like, even if I don't know how to do this thing, I'm going to learn how, or I'm going to build a team of people who know how. Right. You know, right. it's not that you need to have all the skills. You just are like, okay, I'm going to make it work and I'm going to find a way to do that and learn it on the way mm -hmm. you know and that's really the only um the only qualifi qualification and it, even in the level of um having like creative taste or because i think some people also think you need to have really good ideas which is true to an extent you know you do but i think it's also you know sometimes i'll have a project and i might have some inklings but mm -hmm. some, sometimes the inkling will be the idea. And other times it'll just be like, I know someone who's really good at something like this. Yeah. And I, I won't be like, oh, I'm going to put my knowledge first. I'm going to be like, no, I'm going to go to them and be like, I know you're good at this. I know you have this talent or this way of thinking that is really that I think will be good for this. And now yeah. you tell me right. you know, or let's work together on this. Like, let's learn from from each other. So it's yeah. also just like seeing. Uh, where other people can fit into the puzzle of things. And you see that with, again, going back to the Kardashians with Kanye. Yeah. You know, one of his albums, I don't, I'm not, again, an expert, but uh, one of his albums, he just got all of his favorite musicians and rappers and writers, brought them to a house and was like, we're all going to be here for two months and we're just going to sponge off each other. Yeah. And that was him being like, I don't have all the ideas, but I just want to bring all these people together and then let's see what can happen. And it's 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 recognizing that there is no such thing as like the divine creative mind. That's right. You yeah. Know? Some we, people have it, and yeah. we all have our moments. But being a creative director, I think, is the opposite of that. Right. Well, even like a film director like Robert Altman, who has a signature style, and uh, you know, has uh, I guess some people would consider him one of the auteurs. Mm -hmm. He was always a big believer in having this family of creative people around yeah. him, and he brought them through all different projects and kept them on and would encourage like uh, younger folks to sort of be like junior members of the staff yeah. invited everyone to dailies he wanted everyone to see what was going on and everyone could 
make a comment. Yeah. And that's why he's one of the greatest directors. Because the people who, you know, don't let people look them in the eyes and all that stuff. Yeah, it's that ego thing of, and again, it's, that's, I think, also the, what either inhibits people or also what dooms some creative directors. You know, some people do work better when they foster a very distinct style. Right. Same with film, where you can look at a Wes Anderson film and you're like, I know, I know what that is. Right. Um, but he's got to have a really good relationship with the production designer. You do. And it's still all about relationships. But also, uh, like for me, uh, that was something that I and why I was drawn to masks, I think, and that even though over time I developed a style, but for a long time that, you know, it became silver, it became chrome. It, I, 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 and also a specific way of making the masks that very few other people do. Mm-hmm. And and that, and so eventually I did kind of hone, but for yeah. a long time I was all over the place. Sure. And I wanted to be a chameleon. I didn't want to be uh, limited by a specific style, so I just chose the form. Mm-hmm. I was like, okay, the mask will be the one constant. But other than that, and I think that's very much true of a lot of the creative direction I do as well. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, you can look at a lot, probably a lot of projects that I have done or will do, and they're... And I think especially more so now in the work I'm doing is that you'll see very little common denominators and you might not be able to be like, oh, yeah, that's Stella. Sure. But to, that's to me, that's uh, something that I enjoy. And I think that's the challenge of being able to really dive into someone else's creative idea or project and world. Right. You know, and, and then suit the need of that project or world. Absolutely. And, yeah. and that's not to say that you're still not bringing a style but it's almost like it's a practice to me it's like sometimes yeah you have a thing where you're putting yourself into it but i think it's also a really important creative practice to almost remove yourself yeah and your 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 staple from it sure because it's challenging and that's what i love about creative direction and just working in kind of stuff where you're doing creative team management yeah you know is you're forced to think in ideas and in ways that you wouldn't come up with yourself. Right. And that only benefits your solo work. Right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. It's all, it all feeds into each other, you yeah. know? Yeah. The more you do of anything, right. Especially in diverse yeah. application, the better. Yeah. And it's in tandem with the, you know, the, the community work. And just being in like queer community and creative communities, right? You know, it's constant. It's a constant like push and pull and and feedback uh, with each other. And the stamp that you put on it, I imagine, is the consistent quality that you bring to it. Whether yeah. someone could point it out as a specific color or yeah, you know, stripe pattern or something like that. Oh yeah, yeah. to me, it's less in the aesthetic. It's more in. Um, yeah, and like in quality, and to me, it's also more in the relationships. Mm. You know, it's like how I work with people. It's how you construct teams, like teams that, for me, it's super important to like construct teams that are like of amazing queer people, and like and 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 trans designers and artists and like and 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 giving you know like spaces and voices for like these really important people and issues you know yeah you know in in an authentic way in in a non-tokenized way sure like actually just giving those people the like a space to do what they need to do right you know and to and to and to talk about those whether it's whether it's just that you put together a team of 
amazing queer people and they do something that has nothing to do with their queerness. It's just a really cool project. Or it's an overtly political piece that's tackling transphobia and racism and all, sure. you know, like wherever that sits. Right. Because there is a giant spectrum. Completely. And and it's all that's it's also the the thing of like not all of our work has to be about our queerness, but our queerness can wherever that then situates in the way we work and us working together can create incredible pieces of art that yeah. then have a lot of impact on people in, in less overt ways. Right, because there's always the subliminal and the subtextual. Yeah. That's always working there. I mean, works that are created by queer people yeah. have a certain sensibility to them, whether or not it's overt. Also, the messages are communicated that way. Yeah. Yeah, there's just a there's a lack of adherence to norms. Right. Orthodoxy what, is Yeah, com- com- yeah. completely. And yeah, and so that to me is like the most important I think thing I wanna that is like, yeah, is is consistent in my in both, like, yeah, in the relationships and the teams, and I think, and also in, you know, it's it's a double edged sort of as people who have to make a living, we have to we work with all sorts of people, you know, yeah, and we and sometimes incur- less than ideal circumstances, completely, and and you can't fault. Obviously, there's always there's lines to be drawn for sure, but we can't always fault each other for the things we have to do, right, for work. But obviously, as much as possible, you, I want to work with people who. Uh, who just want to do something challenging? Who want to, you know, put forth messages and, and that are that are productive and that cause trouble <laughs> in a good way? Yeah, exactly. Progressive. Yeah, progressive, if you will. A little um, is anarchic. Anarchics. Is that yeah, a word? I think, yeah, it is. It definitely is. Yeah, I think it, uh, it seems to apply. Yeah, yeah. You want to cause a little anarchy? You want to stir shit up? To me, it, it, if it's if it sits smoothly within the cultural sphere, uh, it's not doing enough. Are there any works in particular that you would like to cite as an example of uh, a successful version of that? A successful version of, of, of fucking shit up. Oh, that's a good question. It's also putting you on the spot. I know. It really it really is. We could just switch off that and ask about dating I'll, habits. So I'll, yeah, uh, I'll I'll think about that one cuz that's a great that's a great question. It's hard cuz again there's so many people Yeah. I think who are really doing that now. But I also yeah. think it's hard uh in terms of I mean Lil Nas X. There you go. Yeah. You know. Mm-hmm. I think the work they're doing is incredible. Um and uh it, but again, it's always hard, like, because when we talk about where people come from to where they get when you reach a certain level of fame. Sure. I think there's always some stuff that's lost, mm-hmm. but also some stuff that's gained. That's true. And then c- certain things like uh, Gaga's Born This Way Foundation, which wouldn't be possible without her level of fame. Yeah. So there's trade-offs sometimes. And it's all about really, I think, continually looking at where someone's at. Definitely. Or where you're at, et cetera. Yeah. And then working from there in terms of what can be achieved. Yeah. I also think, obviously, like the late Virgil Abloh, who, you know, passed away recently, Mm. you know, they did that with their work. Yeah. I think with YSL, you know, in a really powerful way and did so much to not just, again, it's one thing to follow trends or follow public opinion of like putting more trans people and more queer people in campaigns. Yeah. It's a different thing to try and shake up how those industries actually work and where the power financially and decision wise is actually made. 
because that's very superficial still in fashion and in culture and media. Um, and so that's what really impresses me. But that's the thing that isn't always talked about publicly, sure. that it's hard to quantify, you right. know, because you can say, oh, they put that many people or they did that many campaigns. It's harder to uh, to quantify, to, to track where the systemic changes are, are happening and like who's on these teams. Right. You know, who's actually getting paid and how much are they getting paid in comparison to the the, the people up at the top? You know what I mean? It's yeah. all, all sorts of stuff like that. Um, so yeah, that's like a complicated answer to that question. <laughs> no, it's a, I mean, it's a perfectly uh, comprehensive one though. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> we're taught, we're covering it all. Yes. Covering it all. It's a grand tour of, of all of life's problems. Exactly. With some disinformation deliberately put in there but again we're not going to say where yeah we're not going to tell you yet you got to figure it out you yeah. got to think critically yes exactly so you divine what <laughs> yes. is true and what is not and then you tell us because we don't know yeah we were not sure so yeah let we're us really know. not sure we don't have the answers <laughs> about dating what is your current dating situation dating or yeah. approach rather yeah it's 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 definitely been an evolving one um i yeah where do I sit with that? Well, currently I'm kind of in um like a casual dating poly exploring space, mm-hmm. which is good because uh, when I came into kind of the queer scene at first, I was uh, I didn't really date anyone for about a year. Um, mm-hmm. And I didn't just I just didn't have any kind of sexual intimacy for like a year. One, because I was so driven in like what I wanted to do and was just like so and also so excited about just like the friends and the community that sure. I was building. But I was also in going back to like the not sitting ease into an easy queer box. I also was um I needed to figure out myself, but also find like kind of a community that I trusted. You know, I want I wanted to build up my reputation as well. Yeah. I wanted people to kind of respect me as an artist. And I was like I think insecure about how my sexuality would play into that mm-hmm. when people didn't because I, I came in and they were just like, oh, this is like this bubbly kind of weird American <laughs> outsider who really doesn't f- not that any of us fit per se. But in particular, people were kind of looking at me being like, are you really, quote unquote, one of us, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and so I wanted to like cement myself, I think, first. And also just have yeah, to figure out what I wanted, where I wanted to be, because I had no idea. Yeah, yeah and I also just didn't know. It was like a revel. It was a revelation in many ways to me to like be in. I obviously knew what polyamory was, but to understand how that could work. Sure. And you know, to to have relationships with like you know queer people who were also you know gender nonconforming and and trans, and being able to have that in such beautiful ways. Yeah. Um. But then lockdown put me into like relationship world as it did with many of us where you're like, well, the world is ending, so we might as well shack up together. Um, I know and, where you've been. And so, okay, you, you wear your mask. I trust you. And Exactly. Yeah. But it, it, it was beautiful. And, and, I, um, uh, and then went into another like a year of abstinence. But I found actually for me, those are very um, – and it's something I don't think we talk about enough, and it, like whether you're queer or not, of just like – and abstinence is a weird twisted word anyway, but just like having periods of, of your life where you're not sleeping and you're not yeah. having intimate sexual intimacy with others. Sure. You know, for a while I would always get really stressed 
out about it. And I was mm-hmm. like, oh, is there something wrong with me? I need to get out of this slump, you know? Whereas now I kind of really value those periods and just see them as like, it's just part of my flow as a person. Yeah. You know, to go in and out of being a sexual person. Yeah. Um, High activity periods, low activity yeah, periods. Yeah, exactly. And and just like seeing that as that's normal and just letting it happen. Obviously, we can get stuck sometimes for not good reasons. Sure. Um, but yeah, not being afraid to just be like, oh yeah, this is just where I'm at. Um, but now I'm, I'm enjoying, and I think it's also nice to be traveling oh, yeah. more and just getting to like meet and connect with people right. all, uh, in different parts of, of the world. Which has a certain novelty to it. It does. Yeah. yeah. And it's, it's, um, oh, for sure. Especially like with COVID, it's, it's like just exciting to like be, in a new place and meet people who are just have a different rhythm yeah about them you know which mm-hmm. is nice because you know even though we're all different people when, when you're in a city you all get you all have a rhythm about you especially in queer communities and sure. you, you can get a little stuck <laughs> with each other yeah. sometimes where you're just going in another circle you're like oh we've all slept <laughs> together oh we all have this kind of mentality where you go somewhere else and it's it's refreshing um but i think it's also nice to not be, um, I went through a lot of periods where I'd either get like sucked into relationships or I'd be very afraid of them, mm-hmm. you know? Whereas I think now I'm a little bit more relaxed and I'm en- enjoying just getting to know people yeah, in a way that has less of like attachment of like, you have to be my everything. Sure. Because I think I didn't, I'd, I never consciously went into those relationships like that, but I, it would often become that. Right. Because that's what, that's what, you know, so much of the media is, it's like you're meant to find that one and they're meant to consume you. Yeah. And then also, you know, if you have any kind of uh, tendency towards all or not all or nothing, but like overwhelming things yeah. or grandeur. Yeah. It's the living in extremes. Yes. And that's the thing is like, I, you know, I, I would get addicted to that kind of extreme of, of love and falling in love with someone. Mm-hmm. In a way that's, that's great, but then you can get addicted to it in a way that isn't great. Yeah, sure. You know, yeah. what, you know what you, I mean. It's you all... can get addicted to bad feelings just because they're happening a lot. Oh, for sure. You yeah. Know, <clears throat> if you decide to drink orange soda every morning for five days, the sixth day you're going to be like, "Oh, where's my orange soda?" In the morning, you know. Yep. Anything can be habit forming, especially sugar. Yeah, exactly. And and, it... and Sunkist has caffeine, so that can make it even worse. But it does. I think oh, yeah. so. Don't tell me that. And what, what about what about you? How's your evolution been through that with lockdown? Well, so when I got back uh, home, there was no activity for a year plus. Yeah. And that was very frustrating to me. Yeah. Uh, I was having a very good time in London, and, and you're like, "Wow, I am here mm-hmm. in my room." Yeah, <laughs> a lot of porn, and then uh, phone and video sex started happening. Nice as well. Yeah, yeah. and and a relationship actually started. Mm-hmm. Um, Polly, mm-hmm. uh, Ada, you know. Yeah. Uh, but we we have not been in the same room together yet. Really. Really, yeah. We talk every day. That's amazing. Yeah, it is. And Obviously frustrating now, but like, well, yeah, it's beautiful to get to explore that, I think. And soon we'll be able to actually visit. We're just yeah. figuring out a trip soon. But then once the vaccines happened mm-hmm. and I felt kind of more comfortable, then there was a lot of hookups and yes. there was a lot of activity, yeah. uh, which was great. And a lot of different types of activity. And that's good too, getting to just like expand 
Exactly. Yeah. Expanding was great. But then I've also sort of contracted that in Mm -hmm. a couple around the holidays, maybe a little bit before the holidays. I felt like I wasn't in a personal energy space to toy around with being in someone else's energy. Yeah. Not knowing whether it was I was particularly vulnerable to theirs or maybe I didn't have the shields up that would uh, let me identify uh, unpleasant operators or who knows Mm -hmm. what. But I just sort of got a feeling of like, not now. Yeah. And it's good to listen to that. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's, and I don't think, I think that's something I've learned a lot recently is like, and through therapy and through like also just my own reading of like relationship styles, emotional attachment, all that kind of stuff, uh, is that we're really not taught as kids in any formal or informal setting about, um, emotional language. Right. You know, and about trying to, uh, have actual real productive dialogues in relationships you know it's all through movies it's all through extremes and and yeah. just through family relations you know where oh, we're, yeah. we try our best but and then the, the only real thing is therapy and then when we get to therapy it's often when we've already had that trauma or we've already had the, those patterns put in us in a way where it's then you're just in doing knots yeah exactly whereas we're not taught how to weave those things, those threads, emotional threads together as kids and how to convey that to others. Right. And, and, ha- and, ha- and how to be aware of things, but also move through life progressing while dealing with a trauma that you have to deal with it. But yeah. you also can't kind of stop forever or be bemoaning something forever. Yeah. So there has to be, there has to be mourning, but there also has to be progress. Completely. Yeah. I think it's like I saw a quote or something recently that, um, that was saying, you know, that really the only way you can not the only way but at the end of the day in the process of getting over or moving through relationship trauma the work has to be done in a relationship that's interesting and and in that like obviously you after in like and i felt that because you know after one of my last relationships there was a lot of pain and trauma that i had to work through and i had to do a lot of that on my own yeah but then i reached a point in um, one of my most recent like, and it's it's a it's a mostly platonic relationship friendship, mm-hmm. you know. But in going into that, like that's where then so much of the learning that I'd done in that time alone, I then had to actually practice it, right, and exercise it, and that's where then the real healing began, you know, of me being like, okay, I I learned, I figured out that these were the problems after this relationship, but then I have to actually put it to work well it's like that thing we were talking about before we're trying to think of that incident that you're supposed to be thinking about to work on with the hypnotherapist mm-hmm. there's the conjecture and the theoretical application of doing that and then there's the oh i'm in a situation where i now i am being triggered by something that they may not have any intention of at all yeah but i have to be conscious of that so you have to be in two minds at the same time because you do not want to just repeat or uh, react to the person as if they're doing, say, yeah. something to you that someone else has done, uh, e- even though that sounds quite like uh, enemies or something like that, like side versus side. But yeah. your mind can go into that space. Oh, it's that black and white thinking. It's that sp- splitting, which like I have. Um, and that was another revelation for me over uh, 
like lockdown, like the winter, the winter one that we did, that we had at yeah. the beginning of last year. The holiday lockdown. Yeah, the holiday <laughs> lockdown, Christmas lockdown part one. Yeah. Oh my God, I think that was a year ago. We're in 22. It's a wild time. Um, <laughs> uh, was like kind of getting diagnosed with BPD, borderline personality disorder. And, and, um, and then ha- that really helped me understand, but also so many of those impulses. I think the interesting thing about BPD is it uh it's one of the most misunderstood but also just not understood mm-hmm. um I won't even say it's a disorder per se but just you know like condition condition you know way um but that like we all again it's like it's all spectrum like we all have elements of BPD and I think that was the interesting thing of like I d- it definitely manifests in a lot of ways for me where I definitely have you know I can call it that or it's useful for me yeah to call it that um this is again when having definitions, names for things. Exactly. It can be really helpful. It can be really helpful and knowing that it's not just like some personal unique Yeah, form of hell. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um but also that we all have elements of BPD. Yeah. And you know, and it and also it manifests in so many ways and we don't like we don't talk about all those impulses just with people in general. Right. You know, we we don't address those things, and and then we only address it when it's like in an extreme common combination of manifestations, yeah. to the point where we call it a disorder. Sure. You know, or something's addressed only when mental health is at its lowest yeah. ebb, or there's some big blow up or something like that. Mm-hmm. Because then often the tendency is. <clears throat> essentially to sweep things under the rug right well that was this time and i was feeling this way so this was going on and then yeah excuse me yeah or actually i have to do that again overcome with emotion we don't have rona i promise i actually am i've been vaccinated four times you oh you got the fourth one so i kind of tricked the system a little i got the first one in London, and then yeah. I was in the U.S. when I was due for my second, so I got it here. Yeah, and then uh, I tried to get it registered in the U.K., and they just didn't have a way of registering it at all. Oh wow! And okay. I obviously then needed the two officially to travel. Yeah, and so then I got the officially my second, but actually my third <laughs> in the U.K. So it would look like I had two on the U.K. system. Yeah. So you were pre-booster boosted. I was pre-booster boosted, and then, but between my getting my having the two and getting the third, I did get COVID. Oh wow! Okay. Very mild though. I was I was lucky. I didn't have it that, but only for like a week. Oh good. Um, and then when the literal booster came around in like the last two months, I had I got that one. One to just you know like why not? I'm already, yeah, sure. I might, might as well just chalk it up at this point. Um, <laughs> Shots, yeah, right. yeah. Just stick the needles in me, but also because uh, again with the travel thing, you have to get them. Oh yeah, so it's all renewed. So I so between four shots and having COVID, I am the virus. <laughs> well, thanks for coming over. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> I'm just gonna like leech some juices all over this place. Perfect. Yeah, we're back to the oozing thing. <laughs> yes, again. we're back to the oozing. We, I mean, that's really all we do. Well, yeah, ooze in different forms. Oh, that's true. And what we were talking about just before, those things can present themselves. They creep up, and you don't expect them. Or let's say I'm going to just this is a guess scenario. Yeah, that you were in. If I don't know if better is the right way to say it, but say things were moving along nicely for you in those respects, Mm -hmm. then COVID happens. Yeah, 
and I felt that there was a lot of mental medi, medi, uh, mental health uh, achievements or uh, barriers yeah. that eroded. Absolutely. And then suddenly you find yourself having certain thoughts that you didn't have since you were 15 or mm-hmm. whatever age. Is this sound about right? I'm just wondering. Yeah. I mean, like, I definitely, uh, for me, it was a combo of, like, I definitely had, like, like when I had the whole, like, realized that I needed, like, when I first delved into nightlife, you know, I had a similar, like, um, kind of is like there'd be like spirals every few years it was like when i was 16 and then when it when i was like 20 and then yeah and then and then in lockdown you know of like having these moments um and it was realizing a pattern yeah being like oh yeah this this happens in this kind of repetitive way every few years or you know Mm -hmm. but i think it was also seeing all these it, it was a thing of once you're at home you don't um you don't have the distractions that both distract you from yourself, but also hide repetitive behaviors. Right. You yeah. know, like I, I, I had a breakup and I couldn't run outside and just party and see my friends and distract myself and sure. hide all these impulses. Yeah. I was just with them, which right. was awful, but it was good because I, I had to really notice them. And I think that was an interesting thing that I noticed with friends, but also like I read about was how, a lot of people got diagnosed, you mm-hmm. know, yeah, with um, whether it was ADHD or depression or I mean, depression was just like we all hit it. But, you know, like <laughs> but getting diagnosed with like things that they hadn't before. Right. Um, and I think just also like on a wider note, just like more awareness of the re- of like the very tangible reality of mental health. Yeah, and and how really everyone's got a little bit of something going on. We do, yeah, and and especially and that was, creative people. Oh, a hundred percent. But also just like a lot of quote unquote normal people sure i didn't mean to besmirch the uh capabilities no, no. Of, uh, we we people, definitely but. we you know creative people we you know we got it worse than the rest of you just saying we also got it better yeah but we also got it worse yeah and then queer creative people uh, uh, have been uh the triumvirate <laughs> they've been doing that dress form for so long yeah it's... experts if you will right exactly um but like you know the yeah the, the quote-unquote normal people were also like oh shit I can't hide in in these structures either. Right. And actually, you know, I think it did give folks like that uh, an opportunity to realize that because uh, let's say it's a nine to five person who's doing well and all that stuff. But they have these things, the crippling anxieties, mm-hmm. the horrible loops and spirals. Yeah. But they don't bring them up because it seems to them to be so outside of what they're supposed to do or the achievements they have. I should be fine. You hear that a lot. I got nothing to complain about or they have nothing to complain about. What's the, no, that's not the deal. That's the whole point is it's not rational. That's right. If this shit was rational, you could just fix the problems. Like you'd be like, oh, it's because that's there. And you know, I misplaced this thing in my brain or in the world and I fix it, but it's not. Right. Yeah. And, And that's, and I think that was a good, not a good thing. Obviously it sucked, but I think that was like an educational thing. And I think it's hopefully helped. Yeah. Just, more more awareness and understanding well also i think it's always better to know more than to not know absolutely so whether it's a diagnosis that's gonna spin your head and go oh my god wait what i only heard this about that you know like mm-hmm. you mentioned bpd yeah. specifically and that is let's say the most taboo one of the most taboo yeah. of the conditions right yeah because, because it's in the same grouping as npd which it can be that to me is you know, yeah. very very bad but yeah. um 
they're often confused. They're very confused. Yeah, and that was interesting is like borderline personality disorder, which also is in like an antiquated term because it's not, uh, it really is uh, emotional deregulation. Yeah. Or misregulation. You know, um, it like we think of personality of like it's a multiple personality of like you have different identities yeah. and you just and you you don't know who you are you know um which also has a huge spectrum sure but like actually borderline personality disorder is uh like almost as common when you actually look at it in a comprehensive way it's almost as common as uh, uh depression and anxiety when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is brought to you by Snapple. Welcome to the Snapple Market Auditory Experience. Close your eyes. Imagine you're walking into your neighborhood store. You make your way to the back and reach for your favorite Snapple flavor. You can't wait. You take a sip. Whoa, that's a lot of flavor. Mm -hmm. What flavor are you holding? Now open your eyes and check out Snapple.com to find ridiculously flavorful Snapple near you. And now a special word from... Hi, Divas. It's me, Rubber Child. And if you want to, I would appreciate it if you could check out the link in the description box down there, a little bit lower, for my GoFundMe for my medical transition. I would really appreciate it. And even if you can't, a little share is free. A little like is free. And I appreciate it. And I love you all. Mm. Mm. And don't you want to return that love? So that's right. Just take those fingers and go down just a little bit further and uh, and <laughs> press right where you know where you should. <laughs> oh, see? You, you already feel the difference. Now, mm -hmm. donate and share. Do both. If you can't donate, just share. Okay. Because depression and anxiety are often manifestations of some form of, of BPD, of some yeah. form of emotional deregulation, which then leads you to be depressed and anxious. Right. And then you it's know. masked all, often. It's masked and it's really hard. It's hard for that reason because a lot of other um, mental illnesses, as we term them, come from this thing, which is you you know extremes of emotion that then you don't know how to not control but you don't know how to weather those storms sure you don't know where to put the stuff yeah you don't know where to put this stuff. you're so full of juice and you're just like <laughs> where do i put it i have no more cups in this house yeah exactly um and you don't know how to and and that's also like a societal thing why i was saying that bpd is actually something that everyone ex like the ma the manifestations of it yeah you know in some way but it, yeah it's it's a lot about a education and the fact that we just don't because it was often used just as an umbrella for a lot of wrong behaviors sure you know yeah. whenever someone just like wasn't whether that was um having extremes of emotion uh disassociative mm -hmm. you know illusion um self-harm and suicidal thoughts because uh, these are all like symptoms sure they would just get thrown under BPD because they're like, oh, yeah, that's just when people kind of go nuts. <laughs> right. And they just kind of lose it. Yeah. 
in in an explosive way rather than maybe sometimes the more internalized way of depression. Well, I was surprised when I recently read about the four different versions of it, of the four flavors. Yes, the flavors, if you will. Yes, and the quiet BPD, Mm -hmm. I don't think is that well known at all. And that's, I I guess, like, and again, like, it's hard to categorize these, but I would, um, I would, I have what you might call um, the, like, more internalized, quiet, and, like, high... Functioning. Functioning. Yeah. In many ways, I'm not high functioning, but like, <laughs> but, but that's, that's, that's the way you would frame it because it's like I, all those impulses would be internalized and then it's only at moments of like extreme pressure that then it would, I would lose control. Sure. You know, and not be able to manage any of it. Yeah. But for so long, and that's why I only realized it over lockdown because I would just funnel it into what I did. Right. Even my career in nightlife was such a manifestation of that. It was always having new things, new people all the time, being able to like escape with others, like never being alone, all these little things. Right. You know, which when I was in nightlife, like I was a functioning person. Right. It's also, I uh, someone told me recently how um, it's not an easily categorized thing, but there's a lot of creatives. Uh, basically who in some way manifest every form of mental illness yeah they have elements of schizophrenia mm-hmm. they have elements of depression anxiety adhd and you know through history we'd have like people like leonardo da vinci like some of the most well-known creatives to the point where it's like scientists and uh, psychologists they don't know how to term it other than they are a form of cr- like crazy that only can survive if they're doing the art that they need to do sure and doing the, the the work where it's like they are creating the thing that they were made to create otherwise they will go insane and probably die or kill others etc etc and they don't obviously that they don't really know what to call it yeah but it's just like a trend that they that some you know psychologists have studied over time where it's like that person shouldn't be able to function but there's a very narrow breadth of creative and creative not necessarily in an artistic sense but just create yeah it could be in business yeah creative work yeah that allows them to be functioning it's the same way where that like we say you know psychopaths and sociopaths like they can be the highest functioning members of society in a very positive way or they can be someone who goes like on a i don't know mass murder spree (laughs) but it's a very it's a very fine line yes and media definitely we love to sensationalize all of it well sure yeah and sociopathy is usually associated with murderous things in film or descriptions and stuff but a lot and again business um people who are very very high achievers and i don't know any global career yeah and analytically there's there's this really great I think it might be a TED talk. I'm not sure, um, or a podcast or something. But it was this guy who was studying the brains and trying to understand if there was like a actually anatomical mm. connection between, uh, like what we term psychopaths. Yeah, and he then just out of curiosity did his own brain scan and found that he was one. Oh wow. You know, and but he was like had a wife and kids that he loved, and that you know was a complete. But he was like, it made me really understand because he was like, 
you know, I've never been able to, I've never felt emotions the way that people describe them to me. Sure. You know, but he's like, but I, I know that I love my family and I know that I care about them and I don't have a violent impulse, but I also don't feel it in the same place. And that's also sure. what, what we're starting to understand, which is just neurodivergence. Yes. Yeah. In that like, it's just that no brains are normal, but they're not abnormal either. Yeah. Which is then, and that's and that's the great space where then you start to understand it in a more productive sense. Right, it's just something someone has, or it's a piece of the person, rather. Yeah. Much less the defining characteristic. Yeah, like the human brain is one of, you know, it's the least understood part of our body. We use it the most, but we understand it the least. <laughs> it's so complex, and so yeah. that's part of the hard part of mental health. Like, like with BPD, for example, that's part of the hard a uh, thing when in terms of diagnosis and treatment is that uh other than like you can treat some of the symptoms like depression and anxiety if you want with medication and really other than that it's just therapy right to kind of learn how to engage with those impulses and just create places of grounding within yourself and unlearn habits be aware of them really it's about awareness it's sure. about being aware of all those things but there's no easy fix right yeah there's no pill for no and, and i mean really all the pills don't that's not to say that they're not really helpful for a lot of people oh yeah but none of them are you know the pill you yeah know? yeah no no exactly like there's things that help like Xanax helps me tremendously with anxiety, which has been a lot worse over the last year. Yeah. And I used to get prescribed Klonopin. There was this whole long thing where the clinic would kept going, well, mm -hmm. we don't really like to give out Xanax. And I'm like, well, the Klonopin makes me very foggy and kind of blue. Yeah. Okay, well, we don't like to give out Xanax. Like, I, have, I have a new clinic now. <laughs> <laughs> you're like, we do this every time? Just yes. Just give me the Xanax. Well, then you're in that position where you're like, I can't argue with them too much because I need my other prescription right now so yeah I'll, you're like i'm gonna be nice but i'm just gonna like weasel my way in here yeah and trick exactly. him into it yeah and yeah and for me it was because i also have a lot of insomnia and that comes from like my head racing at night oh, yeah, in sure. particular you know also why i went into nightlife i was like great i'm already out <laughs> i'm already here I'll i might as well do myself, something i totally. will yeah i might as well be out in the world rather than just lying at my right in my bed looking let me, at the ceiling let me make this night thing work for me yeah i'm gonna like take advantage of it um but weed for me like definitely like smoking but again like i only really smoke it before bed mm -hmm. but just having that and having that ritual sure you know really really helped me um which was hard because i've had obviously like weed is good for so many people but i've also had friends who've had like a gone into a loop with it oh you know? yeah like it spins them out but then they're still yeah. going back to it kind of thing yeah, more just it becomes like something they need. But that's true of anything. You know, it's true of caffeine. It's true of alcohol. Like you can get into an addictive relationship with many substances, most of which are legal. Oh, absolutely. You know? Yeah. But um, we all have our poisons. But yeah, it's it's good to find, uh, you know, we all need them need at times. It's just that, yeah, it's about finding the relationship with them that works. Yeah. And I think anything that works for anybody, as long as it's not taking over their days. Yeah. Uh, whether whether your day is night or not uh yeah. then it's fine you know yeah. like because the funny thing about xanax too is I, I said to someone oh and i finally got xanax again and they were like oh you know you got to be careful with that and i you know i i bit my tongue but it's like i just want to be like you want to tell people just shut the fuck up yeah <laughs> like, also like that this is a world where you know most of the 
like le- less um like directly deadly substances yeah in say a party context most of them are legal yes and the most the ones that kill people the most are legal, are legal. yeah are legal it's the alcohol it's cigarettes yes. whereas like if you look at psychedelics and and even things like you know ecstasy and ketamine ketamine you know like just quantifiably across the board they kill less people (laughs) and people are generally less violent on them yeah so it's and you know it's it's not it's not connected to like a a a rational and also when we talk about you know like addiction in a wider sense it's like well that same person who's telling you not to be on that pill is on their phone nine hours, 10 hours a day. Oh, and almost always it's someone who has a slight problem with drink. Yep. Almost always. And yeah. I don't ever bring it up to them because, you know what I mean? It's like, you. I don't want to get into that yeah. with those people. Oh, yeah. And, and the, you know, it's like, yeah, it's, it's that's that's the big, like, over-looming just, you know, thing of, like, the, that actually the most harmful things are the most accessible to us. Yeah. And, well, that's the okay one to be hooked on. Yeah, that's and and, that, and that's part of it. It's just removing the like what it's the 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 taboo and of like what is okay and what is not. Right. Yeah. And that's why that's why like countries that um legalize all drugs. I mean, I think it's the right way to go. I couldn't agree more. Even, and also, they could tax them. So we could. I, I always think like, why don't we just appeal to the base economic yeah. lust thing and go tax money, shake tax the, money, shake the little bag of coins. Like, yeah. Right, exactly. That's why I'm so surprised that weed hasn't been uh, legalized in the UK. I'm stunned by that. I'm very surprised. I mean, I get it because it's one, again, it's one of those things where it's a class A drug still. Or it's maybe, class A there? Wow. I mean, it might be B, but it's still, it's still it's, pretty it's, too it's, high. It's yeah. still too high. And it's like the category of the other drugs it's in, they're like, oh, well, if we declassified this one, people would be like, well, you should declassify you should declassify all these other party party drugs. I yeah. mean, not I don't classify weed as a party drug. I think it, you know it's it's different. Um, it's very encompassing. But yeah. but like they would just be like, oh well, it, it the Eng- England's all about very strict structures, and they're worried if they take one little, it's like Jenga. If they take one out, it's all gonna fall. Yeah. Um. But like, yeah, even legalizing the really the one the stuff that is really dangerous, you know, like heroin. It's like if you legalize it, that's not to say that. It is, um, and that's what I think people often don't understand. Is that's not to say that you can then buy that in the way that we have weed dispensaries sure. and you know, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. It's just to say that if someone is in possession of it, they're not going to go to jail, right? You know, it's not they're not going to be criminalized, right? And then you, those people can then get you can create infrastructures of help, yeah, and also harm reduction completely, which yeah. can save a lot of lives, especially you know we hear about all these fentanyl laced things yeah lately. and that's a lot more dangerous than if it was just slightly state enabled or at least decriminalized yeah and yeah it's a complicated system because at the same time like there are still like we've seen you know with weed being legalized there's still then problems in terms of like uh how that like benefits you know white communities or how like right. people then like it, it you know it, it's still like then can have a negative impact on like you know, immigrant communities on black communities and on the, on the people who were using these systems and then are kind of like the rugs taken out from underneath them. Sure. But it's still like a step, I think, in the in like a better direction. Yeah, and I think in 15 to 20 years, first of all, ketamine will totally be legal along with fr- mushrooms because yeah. they're already doing 
treatments for depression yeah with with, with ketamine yeah and ketamine's like the that's right i love the english pronunciation of that ketamine ketamine oh you yeah. guys say ketamine ketamine yeah. i like no ketamine because i like to say fine english ketamine uh, which fine uh, <laughs> english ketamine, indeed yes no that's the funny thing is i um even though my accent is more or less american i say most of my like phrasing and i guess linguistics are yeah more predominantly english well that makes sense though because lingo is lingo yeah it's where you're at yeah um but it's funny because sometimes when i'm here I'll, i like i was in new york and i was like i was in um an elevator which i don't know why it's important for this story but um i i was like oh i need like a proper shower yeah and someone was like a what <laughs> like proper like tea and i was like no like a proper which like for us it's like hearty it's like a real yeah, like, oh, yeah. i just need a real shower yeah it's like little or like the bin Mm-hmm. rather than like a trash can yeah or like the boot of a car yeah there's some that I'm, I'm always amazed that americans get confused over now obviously there's plenty of english phrases that are a little bit more elliptical more wayward yeah yeah but the bin that never posed a problem to me yeah you're like oh yeah it's a it's a it's a bin oh trash bin right uh rubbish bin whatever Yeah, you can make the connection in your brain you can but then a lot of people like to go what what boot of the car i think when i first heard it was on a tv show and mm-hmm. i was like well oh oh the trunk because also you have to just work through in your you head contextualize yeah. yeah well what could the boot be it's not the middle seat it's not the middle seat it's not the front of the car probably not the wheel either the driving steering wheel but yeah 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 because you're like boot is like at the bottom you you put shit you put your foot in it i don't yeah. know you just like <laughs> your, your brain does that our brains are pretty smart sometimes yeah you can work it out. It's like a multiple choice thing. Yep. Um, it's usually C. <laughs> it is. It's actually true statistically on multiple choice questions. C is always slightly more likely. Oh, really? To be yeah, the, uh, statistically the right answer? than any of the others. So like when I, when we were studying for like SATs, they'd always say, if you don't know, choose C because you are more likely to be right than if you choose any of the others, if you have no idea. Oh, that's a good fallback. So all you kids out there. Yeah, that's right. Go for C. Go for C. <laughs> Don't aim too high, you know? <laughs> I heard an interesting thing in a Joni Mitchell interview where she was talking about in the classes uh, of some school, the all the most interesting uh, kids would be in the C row because they would have like the super follow all the rules, do everything to get mm-hmm. the approval and and the gold stars in the front row. Yeah. And then B are like, they're doing great. They're not quite, you know, one yeah. way or the other. The C row, she said, that's where you'd find like the Einsteins and the people who are like very smart, but yeah. then had their own ways of thinking about things or weren't bothered by the conventions, yeah, et they, cetera. They, they, they can't, um, their brains are too, you know, in a different direction to kind of mold themselves into the prescribed way of the prescribed way yeah. of thinking of learning. Yeah, it's true. And that's why a lot of the greatest minds did terrible at school. Right. You know, did terrible school. So that's I another did, thing, kids. Uh, if you're doing terrible school, don't worry so much. You're doing great. You are. You are doing great. I mean, that's also just to talk about like the deficit of educational systems. You know, where again, it's the neurodivergence thing. We we teach for very, and it's education in general, in like how we teach, what we teach, has evolved very little in the last hundred years, and it's kind of having a problem now, where it's like the world we live in and the the industries and the way our economy works is now so far removed from the way we teach. And they're having to change that really fast, you know, with like STEM and stuff, but also the way these kids are thinking because they're growing up on technology. 
<laughs> That's true, yeah. And their brains function in a different way. Mm-hmm. And these teachers are like, oh, I don't know what to do with this. I don't know what to do. But it's also good because it's also giving a lot of tools. And also, there should always be a new stimulus to uh, educational systems, and they should always sort of be having to keep up with whatever's going on. Yeah. Really. Because, well, if you can say, well, you could dismiss things like TikTok, and this is back to what we were talking about before, like, I don't, I have to do this thing? I have to get on this thing? I've heard that from so many people. And yeah. It's like, well, you don't, but, you know, you should be aware of whatever's going on. Completely, not yeah. That it, not that it's for everyone, but anything like that like oh what's going on why don't you go check it out maybe you'll find something you like on it it's like cable tv yeah come to it with an open mind yeah can you imagine being resistant to cable tv as a concept that's the thing is whenever you can pull wholesale resist uh i think any kind of new technology any kind of new you know yeah um device or you know thing um that's different for ideologies, obviously. (laughs) There's some really bad ones out there that you should not get on board with. But with tech, it's like, it's gonna, it's not gonna go away. I mean, it might evolve, it might change form. Yeah. You know, tech does come and go and like become more and less important, but it's still gonna keep, that that river is only gonna keep flowing. Yeah. It's not gonna stop. Right, and you can choose to remove yourself from that, but then also you have to, know what the consequences of doing such a thing are yeah and like that for me the like tiktok's that like i i have tiktok but i really don't use it same here and i don't really i don't really understand i am one of those like i'm only 25 but i'm one of those old people that's like i don't understand this at all i don't know how it works <laughs> what is this strange place but like i, I understand it as in a general sense and yeah. like and i recognize i think people who discredit it you know, or you say like, oh, it's just so stupid. Oh, it's ruining society. Oh, it's like, you know, turning the minds of the next generation to sludge. People said that about TV. Yeah. People said that about radio. People said about everything. And it's everything. Like, MTV. It's, just, not, it's yeah. just categorically untrue, you know? Like, yeah, it is. There's some stupid shit on there. But also it like has potential for like uh, activism and information sharing and creativity oh wildly so that's insane yeah and that really surpasses instagram and a lot of these platforms so like for me it doesn't um like i it just doesn't fit or i don't really feel inspired by it for my own art sure but i love seeing how it inspires others and that's just because i work in terms of my own practice i work more in like visuals yeah you know and i i just i just don't i never i've never like seen what tiktok in particular and have been like oh i need to do that right that's because it's just not my thing but like it's so good for so many um people and yeah we have to we have to see the potential in all these things rather than just be like oh i mean like yeah i do sometimes like see a tiktok dance and i'm like not again. <laughs> I remember just saying saying to someone when they're like, "Isn't that just all the dancing?" I'm like, "No, no. There's other things. There's actually there's so much. There's else. tons of stuff on there, and yeah. you know, you can also close it any at any time. So this whole idea that anything is ruining the culture, etc. Yeah. And again, it's back to that thing of the easy answer for what's going on, mm-hmm. whereas it's continually peeling this giant yeah. onion all the time. It's also like I think engaging with the idea of like high versus low culture and access yeah. accessibility yeah. to different forms of media. Which I think could be at the root of some people's dismissal of it. Definitely. Yeah. It's like that because that one thing I, I thought about and was talking to someone recently, even on the dance front, which it's like, yeah, it can seem just kind of stupid or like, oh, they're just creating dances. What I've noticed like is it's been a way for like 
men and boys to engage with dancing right and movement right in which in a lot of like western cultures especially in like america and the uk is like really restricted and still so contained within this awful like box of masculinity right but then you see this these like young cis boys who are like dancing right and doing full choreo and choreo and expressing themselves in a way where like five years ago if they'd been doing that people would have been like why are you being a girl? Yeah. <laughs> Which is awful, but that's... that's it's, no, you know. I'm laughing because of the accuracy of it. And it's know? like, that's a, that to me has been a thing where it's like, okay, that's actually really cool that it's giving... Again, it's the thing of like giving... When everyone has more ways of like expressing themselves creatively, that's great, you know? Yeah, the, it, well, there's no problem with as much or as many uh, um alleyways to yeah. go down or and okay platforms. yeah maybe it's you know when we talk about originality like oh yeah maybe they're uh i think that's also something that i even i have a contested relationship with tiktok is that like on one hand people have so much creativity but it also inherently functions by trends yeah in repetition yeah and obviously there's a lot of movement within that but it also scares me in the sense of like people making their own thing their original thing, you know, and yeah. I'm so always worried that it, it's so it's it's easier and it's more fun to just jump on this yeah, this do, format do this that already exists, and that will reward me with numbers. So there's that thing too, exactly. Okay, rather confused. than like putting in the hard work of, uh, but then it's like again, at the same time, what starts as one trend, it's often moves to a completely different space, and then you see interesting things like I heard. Uh, Billy Joel Zanzibar mm-hmm. on there and then I discovered that it was like a trend that people were doing these various things to Billy Joel Zanzibar and I was like this is one of the most amazing things yeah, that's ever people happened. rediscovering yeah like, I it's it's really because like I've been really fortunate recently of doing like projects and work with and some of the people on the teams I've been working on are kids who are like 18 19 years old mm-hmm and they are like more, they have more cultural reference points going back to like the 50s, 60s, yeah. like, and the 80s. Like they are more versed and more exploratory of not not pop culture sure. than I ever was at that age, you know? And a, in a great way, and a lot of that is because of places like TikTok and these social spaces, because like they're so fascinated. And a lot of that's like also the nostalgia trends that are coming, that sure. are moving. Th- right now of like the early 2000s but i think that's amazing yeah you know and and it's again it's like it's all these tools are are a double-edged sword well they are but i am very happy to see that especially because there's this tendency a lot of people at any age group tend to just take what is shown on the platforms or is advertised but this thing of uh the kids going through to all these different eras Mm -hmm. it just confirms to me the thing that i've always thought to be true is that good stuff or fun stuff will last throughout the ages and people will go and find it like i went to go see rock and roll high school the other night at new beverly and i've seen it like 30 or 40 times but Mm -hmm. never in the theater it's one of my favorite movies because i saw it when i was so young that i thought they were like the monkeys that they were a fabricated band for the movie (laughs) and because i just picked out the vhs sleeve at the place my brother worked at and I loved it. And like, I love the idea that um, kids are using the internet because now there's everything's on the video store shelf. Yeah. It's not just what's in that store. All of it. Everything's there. So the fact that they're using that is great. Are you getting sleepy? 
No. Okay, I just wanted to check because we've been going for a while. No, I, no. I can go for a long time. I, so. I can as well. You Good. know, I can talk about it in a minute. Um, no, I think that's been really, really cool to see. And it's great, like, learning from people younger than me. I mean, and that's true always, but, like, especially, like, I'll, I'll talk to kids and they'll just be like, oh, yeah, I know this, I know this, and this. And I'm just like, it's yeah. also an envy as well. Of like, I, <laughs> you know, on one hand, I'm I'm like grateful in a way that I remember a time before social media. Oh, sure. And yeah. I think that's like a rare, I was one of the last generations to have right. that. Right. To remember like, um, even like CDs. I have friends who don't remember CDs. And I'm like, it's not even that old. <laughs> it's not even that old. Um, but and like I'm so young as well, you know. Like it's like yeah, the, it's are, the yeah. weird dichotomy. It's like the dichotomy of like things have moved so fast through technology. Well, they really have, especially in the last five to ten years. Especially. Yeah, for sure. Um, but I don't know where I was going with this. That's oh, okay. We're lost in the lost in this in, in the, the ooze. sauce. Yeah. In the ooze. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know, but it, it's it's good. It's all good, you know. It's it's exciting to yeah to see these these kids like finding all this stuff and teaching us a thing or two and also i think that the further we go in the post network age which is what i think we're in Mm -hmm. that's going to change how we look at everything even look at the beatles get back which Mm -hmm. of course you couldn't think of a bigger budget more uh prestige project right yeah but even the articles that were like oh my god that's too much eight hours i'm like no that's great because the art form now is, or the 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 construct. What do you call it? The containers now, yeah, are can warp to fit whatever the thing is. It's not. This has to be forty five minutes, no, so we can, can add commercials and it can be anything. So. Anything because people can watch. It's like there was a meme recently that was like, "Oh, I should watch a two hour film. Oh, that's way too long. Oh, I should watch like an eight episode series in each for an <laughs> yeah, hour. Saw, yes, yeah. easy. Yeah, and that's so true. It's like we, uh media in terms of like the space it fits and 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 actually going back to the oa that show yeah was actually the way it works is often um the end of one episode wouldn't be the end it would like bleed into the next episode if that makes sense yeah it does and but and it was it was engaging with netflix in a way that i think very few shows do which is a shame where they were like really you could watch it as all one thing and yeah you there's no there aren't they aren't cut into the traditional format of like an arc per episode. Right. It would be like an arc they go over two and like the the credits would be halfway through the middle of one episode because actually maybe that episode is like, you know, eighty minutes long and then the next one would be thirty and but it's, sure. they, they yeah. put them into the episodes because that's what Netflix asked for. Yeah. But the way this the show was actually constructed wasn't and that's really fascinating. Everyone should watch the OA. We should all fight to get it back because it got canceled after two seasons. Oh, it did. Uh, yeah, it oh, did. That's it's, a shame. It's very sad. The the best ones often do, you know. Yes, this is very true. Yeah, and that's the way with Netflix as well. They do the same thing of throwing so much shit at a wall. Yeah, because they can. They have the money now, and then they just see what sticks, and they. It surprises me, I and mean, not it's it's not surprising, but it's also very surprising how rapidly they just will discard and cycle through many shows. Well, it's strange, too, when a show has a following like the OA or Glow, which was doing really well. And then, yes, COVID hit, but they probably could have done the wrap-up season or a wrap-up movie, Yeah, but they just didn't. And that's something that Netflix has the power to, that many, I don't know how much it was the financial thing, but I think it was also a, it was like a tradition or just an unspoken rule in many TV 
just production yeah. studios was that if they if it was just a really bad show that did nothing they would just cancel it yeah but if it was a show that where they were like well we're canceling it but we've recognized that there's people have cared about it they'd be like okay you can do like a wrap-up episode right yeah or we'll give you three or four so it's not as many as you wanted but we're gonna at least let you like tie it a little yeah like freaks and geeks has sort of like a a bit of a ramshackle conclusion but they knew yeah. that it wasn't gonna last so exactly so and, and it's not those are always unsatisfying but you're like okay well at least they honored the that the creative value of this thing enough to give it a little bit of closure yeah, and the audience as well yeah whereas like netflix they just are like no no sorry it's they, gone they, yeah they're just like it's gone they're like we don't we didn't need it we don't you know they're they're just chasing what what brings the money you yeah know? but at the same time some of those shows i even though i do resent when they just cancel it i also sometimes find the shoddy wrap-ups almost worse yeah when they're poor wrap-ups it is going you know? also poor reunion movies i saw that uh, i got obsessed with cagney and Lacey last year yeah i watched the entire thing that's a show that got canceled like two or three times and was brought back because of letter writing campaigns yeah which it's and i they've tried that now with like they tried that with the oa actually pretty consistently mm-hmm Oh, and, Lucifer and, came back because yeah, of that, Lucifer right? came back. There have been a few shows like that, and I'm always I'm, I I like when we like crowdsource activists to get our shows back. <laughs> I, very few things I think makes people as angry as when a good show is canceled. <laughs> it's good, maybe that you know they can transfer that into other activism. Yeah. yeah, yeah, maybe into things that are I don't know real <laughs> affect actual yeah affect people <laughs> <laughs> what do you think the state of um activism is right now maybe in london yeah i think it's it's interesting right now i think on one hand it's really powerful i think especially over lockdown you know we had a, a lot of the blm and like trans rights protests yeah um and i think it was good that uh lockdown enabled people to um um to do activism online yeah um but uh i also think i think sometimes we are afraid to cause trouble mm-hmm. you know yeah um i think again it's going back to the worn down thing where we're also worn down and we're like i need to survive you know well yeah there's a bit of compassion fatigue across the board I there's think. a lot of fatigue yeah and it's hit so hard but i also think we um uh, or at least what I've noticed in the spheres in London is we also have kind of the cancel culture gatekeeping thing where like activism and kind of suffering Olympics. Well, yeah. Can like, can take a space where then uh, we don't, uh, we kind of, yeah, we, we gatekeep activism. Sure. Or like we give it a lot of specific conditions, mm-hmm. you know, um, or has to look a certain way, or you, or you can't make mistakes in the way you engage with, with right. those things. Um, Whereas, you know, if you look at the history of activists or activism, particularly, say, high-profile members of uh, showbiz or whatever, mm-hmm. they put their foot wrong so many times doing it. Like, look at Jane Fonda. You know, yeah. she made a bunch of gaffes, if you want to call them that. Sometimes things that were then uh, exacerbated by deliberate maneuvers by the American yep. government. But still, she kept trying and doing things. And, and that's really all it is. It's trying, yeah. you know? And it's allowing people to learn. Um, 
and allowing people, giving the space for people to come to the table. But I definitely think there's, and again, it goes back to the fatigue, but I feel like in terms of how we enact activism outside of protests, mm-hmm. you know, and like organized physical spaces, I think there's like a lack right now of like creativity and kind of like, uh, or not lack to say, like, because I like people like, um, uh, all the people who run London Trans Pride, they've done a lot of really incredible stuff. And obviously, um, Lady Phil, who runs Black Pride in London, like, mm-hmm. they are incredible and people should look at the work that they're both doing. Um, but there's a lack of creativity in activism. And like, I, when I did a master's, uh, I just finished a master's and I was specifically looking at culture jamming mm-hmm. and and the role of design in activism. Oh, okay. Yeah. You know, and obviously many people have done it. Like we've had like, uh, you know, Yes Men and, um, you know, Pussy Riot, you know, people uh, who are artists and activists and that work engages with each other. Um, and I think we really need to reinstate that because if we just protests are really powerful but it's like we have to also get within the means of production Mm -hmm. we have to get within the systems and like kind of usurp them and 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 like it's like putting your hand in um i'm trying to do technical metaphors now and it's a struggle it's just like ripping honeypot right yeah it's it's just like ripping out (laughs) wires you know like we, we we have to be more i think more strategic sure and and think of it in the language of media mm-hmm. you know we have to think about it in campaigns and and they do obviously charities do sure but we have to do it in a way that then is still combining like anarchist you know subversive really like um yeah pe- people who aren't afraid to like really cause trouble sure but then doing it in in ways that are unexpected and digital as well mm-hmm. you know digital activism non both person and non-person based activism. Yeah. And stuff that actually affects structures instead of the temptation. I think you alluded to before of the sort of people being in an echo chamber. Yeah. Very real. Yeah. And like the social media activist is such a thing now. Yeah, that's true. And it, it, uh, it becomes a career Mm -hmm. to be a social media activist and it's great, but then you become an influencer. Also, anytime you work in nightlife for any length of time, you can see people who are think they're the new Marilyn in that. Yeah. In any way, in any form, uh, on those pla- on platforms. Mm-hmm. No, it, it's very true, and they uh, there's the desire to be the activist or to be the the exact and and this is my thing. So therefore, yeah. then the gatekeeping. All of that. Exactly, yeah. And it's like the claiming of like, oh, this is... And it's true like in terms of being a social media activist. There's only so many spaces at that table and people don't like when someone else comes in and uh, is like taking up those those press opportunities and those tours <laughs> and those book ops and you know what yeah. I mean? Um, it's, it's, and it's, a, it, it's turned into a product. Well, sure, right. And then it's a business and it's a competitive business. It is, and yeah. And again, it's like it's not to say that that doesn't have a space. Oh, sure. But just like anything, I think the key is that everything has the potential to be corrupted by ego. Absolutely. Yeah. And the you know desire for people to be the ace face, you know, mm-hmm. really. 
Yeah. So I went from new romantic deck back to the mod. Yeah. And now we're going to go. Uh, and then soon we'll go back to, I don't know, what was popular in the 30s. Uh, the, oh, God. <laughs> the new Vaud- hula hoop. Um, something like Vaudeville. Was that the 30s yeah, the, thing? The, 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 right. It was, I think, the 30s. Maybe the 20s and th- into the 30s? Yeah. I think so. I have to see some Marx Brothers films because I only know stories about the Marx Brothers, but I listened to an entire audiobook about a guy who yeah, lived a, worked with Groucho in the last couple yeah. of years of his life. I've heard tons of people talk about them on podcasts, never seen one film, but yeah, I mean, that's off. Like that was me with John Waters for a long time. I, uh, read a lot of their books, Yeah, but I'd never seen one of the films. That's what led me to him was his writing in Rolling Stone. Yeah. That list of a hundred things he loves about LA. Yes. For me, it was role models. Oh yeah. That's fantastic. I read that and, and obviously I like looked at their work just through like clips and, interviews and sure. writing about them but uh but yeah but i often i often like i think it's also interesting to approach even like patty smith i obviously heard her music a lot but i only yeah. really started listening to her music properly once i'd read just kids and some of her other sure. books yeah it's like me as like i i came into like I, before anything else i was like a writer and studied english so books were often my way of oh, looking yeah. at um people mm-hmm. uh I think it's I think it's fun. I think it's fun to or even um yeah, finding like a I like finding the projects that not a lot of people notice. Sure. Of an artist yeah. or of a um just a creative person. Well sometimes the flops, if you want to call them that, yeah. are some of the most fascinating things. Like I mentioned Altman before and he had a bit of a flop period in the late seventies and the early eighties. Like I love those. Even one of the movies which is just god awful. There's yeah. something fascinating about it because you're also watching it knowing who made it and the circumstances surrounding it. So yeah. So you get something from the that. The context is fascinating. Yeah, yeah, it really is. And yeah, and I think it's also like a, there's, it's like say someone's, um, you know, a photographer and that's all they're known for. But then you like find a book of their poems or you find out that they did like science experiments. Right. Like Nabokov, um, who wrote like Lolita and a lot of, you know, they were an avid butterfly collector. Really? Wow. And that was like their biggest, other than writing, that was their biggest passion in life. Yeah. And they would travel all over the world and find and study species of butterflies. And they'd like discovered butterflies and like studied migration patterns that like no scientist had ever found before. Wow. And it's like, it's, it's interesting like seeing the other passions of creative mm-hmm. people, the ones that are little known. I think they often are more telling or they re- they make you look at that artist's work in like a completely different way. And it makes sense too that you'd be interested in that given that you are so multifaceted. Mm-hmm. And also it's good to be reminded of that because a lot of times people can get trapped, all of us can, in like, well, I don't know if I can do that too. Yeah. Can I do this as well? Yeah. You can, basically anything you want to do, you can. Yeah, you can do any of it and it can all feed, it can feed in ways that you would never expect. Yeah. Um, but I also think it's nice to be reminded, I think when, when the work when these other works or like projects are either little known or just not known at all. Yeah. I think it's great because it reminds you that you can, especially when your whole career is creative, that like you can have modes of creativity that are non-productive. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That are just for you. In the quote unquote. And I'm sorry for everyone who's heard me say that a million times, but I think it's, <laughs> I love hearing it on podcasts when someone says quote unquote, because then you can like see the air quotation. Oh, right. Yeah. Um, but I've definitely overused it in this segment. <laughs> That's all right. 
Overuse is another thing that we like. This is true. We're living in extremes. Yes, exactly. I, one of my favorite phrases, um, and it's very self-congratulatory because I came up with it, or at least I was the first <laughs> to have noticed that it is uh, living on the edge, edging the living. That's good. You know what one of my favorite ones that I came up with is? Please share. If it's too old, you're too loud. Yes. <laughs> I'm going to put that on a shirt, actually. Wow, it, this is what I love. You just have to keep, it has so many layers. It's an onion. Yeah. it's a, Onion phrases. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I love, we love the onion. Yeah. We do love the Not onion. Not necessarily the publication, though they're a good operation. They had, they had their moments. Yeah, they do. They have a great uh, AV club. Those, those are good. Really? Interesting. Yeah. They I have, still follow their Instagram, but it doesn't, the zingers don't catch me as often as they used to. I think it's a bit like Stephen Wright or any of those deadpan comedian things. After a while, you're just kind of like, I don't yeah. know. It's, it's, or it's uh, like, do you ever watch um, Jeff Dunham, who did the puppets? Like, uh, I know of them. I don't terrorist think terrorist. I don't think so. Peanut. I watched those a lot as a kid. And now I watch them back and I'm like, <laughs> but also you can only do so much with a puppet. You can do a lot with a puppet, yes, but only so much. <laughs> and I think that's the lesson of this show. I really think it is. And I also need to pee. Yeah. So, so listen, let's wrap up this one. We're going to wrap it in a bow. Yes, we're we gonna are. We're going to ship it to your house. We might put an eyeball inside just to keep you on your toes. Right. But at the same time, the packaging is exquisite. It is exquisite. And so are the contents within. So thank you so much for helping me provide that. Thank you for having me. It has been a pre- uh, uh, words are eluding me now. It's been a pleasure and a privilege. Why, thank you. And same in return. I look forward to doing another one with you. Oh, this will not be the last. <laughs> it may <laughs> have been the first, but never the last. <laughs>